Hello and welcome to Shine KC. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, published author, small business entrepreneur, and domestic violence survivor. Thank you for tuning in and listening. I am going to do a series on family court versus criminal court, and I'm going to give a few examples as well. I found a very unique government article, which I'm going to read verbatim for a second. The authors shown below use federal funds provided by the U.S. Department of Justice and prepared the following report. And I am going to read the document title. I did not know that something like this uh, was completed with, with federal funds. Child custody evaluators, beliefs about domestic abuse allegations, their relationships to evaluator demographics, background, domestic violence knowledge, and custody visitation recommendations. And the authors of this document It's a 176-page document, but hang tight. We're not going to go over it all. I want to do this in chunks because I think this is vitally important. And I'm going to give you an example here in just a little while about why I think this document is vitally important because of the research that's shown and the facts that came out. A Daniel G. Saunders, a PhD, Catherine C. Fowler, PhD, and Richard M. Holman, PhD, are the authors of the information that I'm going to be sharing with you um, in the family court versus criminal court discussion I'd like to have. And I'd even like to get some feedback from uh, all my listeners or some of my listeners on um, this very subject. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verbatim just for a second, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about it. I'm just going to read, like I said, the report was 176 pages, but I'm going to read the executive summary of this report. It says, high rates of domestic violence exist in families referred for child custody evaluation. These evaluations can produce potentially harmful outcomes, including the custody of children being awarded to a violent parent, unsupervised or poorly supervised visitation between violent parents and their children, and mediation sessions that increase danger to domestic violence victims. Past research shows that domestic violence is frequently undetected in custody cases or ignored as significant factors in custody visitation determinations. Previous research also indicates that violence and its harmful effects on victims and children often continues or increases after separation. Little is known, however, about child custody evaluators' beliefs, backgrounds, knowledge about domestic violence, and other factors that that may shape their recommendations regarding custody and parent-child visitation agreements. That was verbatim. I'll continue with the executive summary. The purpose of this study was to further understand of what child custody evaluators and other professionals believe regarding allegations of domestic abuse made by parents going through a divorce. The study had several major goals, and these are the goals 
goals that they bullet point. To investigate the extent of which the child custody evaluators and other professionals who make court recommendation believe allegations of domestic violence are false. To explore the relationship between these beliefs and A, knowledge of domestic violence, and B, recommendations about custody, supervised visitation, and mediation. Next bullet point. To examine whether beliefs about false allegations of domestic violence are related to beliefs that false allegations of child abuse are common. Abuse of parents should not be a criteria in custody and visitation decisions. And that parents often alienate their children from the other parent. Last bullet point. Executive summary. The study's major goals. To examine the relationship between beliefs about false allegations and beliefs about norms, social dominance, and justice in the world. We also concluded in-depth interviews with 24 domestic abuse survivors who experienced negative custody visitation outcomes, such as losing custody of their children. The information gathered helped us interpret our quantitative findings, uncover new areas of concern, and learn of recommendations the survivors had for changing the custody determination process. Okay, so we're going to go through this report little by little as we podcast through family court versus criminal court. But I want to share a story with you. It's a true story, um, but of course I'll not disclose because I want to make sure that everyone is safe in all situations. Recently, there were two court hearings in the same county courthouse. The first court hearing, same day, 9 a.m., was a petition for temporary custody by the abuser of domestic violence. Same day at 1.30, same courthouse, was the hearing for probable cause of domestic assault in the third degree at 1.30. Nine o'clock, the victim shows up to court and is told her abuser has temporary sole custody and she has supervised visitation two hours a week only with her children. I believe there's a fault with the attorneys. There's a fault with the guardian at Lightem who did not do everything per protocol as they should have. There's no backing for her to have lost her children. There's no proof or evidence. He was just good enough of a narcissist to fake these professional people out who have no knowledge of domestic violence. Now, let's jump to what this brave survivor did who just lost her children the morning before. She took the stand at 1.30 in the same courtroom, but with a criminal judge and the state prosecutor. She shared her story of the events that took place the night she left and he was arrested for the second time, mind you. She shared her story bravely, non-emotional, and firm after losing her children. That's brave. They found probable cause to charge him the next level to circuit court for domestic assault in the third degree. All the while, he is still abusing her through the court app. He's still telling her when she can and cannot see the children, the two hours 
a week she's allowed to see them and while he's still telling her her parents cannot be involved in the supervised visitation I don't know about you or your thoughts about the situation but I know in this situation the courts are not speaking to each other there's nothing right about an abuser who gets custody of the children the morning prior to being found to have probable cause and his domestic assault charges are moved to the next level makes no sense whatsoever no wonder it is so hard for a domestic violence victim to leave The more I go through this report, the more I see a huge need. And I'll TikTok a little bit here and there with videos. I don't know if you guys had a chance to follow my TikTok page or not. It's just Shine KC Podcast. But I am going to let you see my face. And I'm going to let you you hear my voice. Because I believe there needs to be a movement. And what that movement is, when it comes to domestic violence cases, I don't believe any custody should be firmly set in place until after court or after proof or after what is found out with the domestic violence issue or if there is a domestic violence issue or even charges pending. In this case, there were federal charges pending. He is still out today abusing her, withholding her children because withholding is a form of abuse. Telling her children she doesn't like them, which is ridiculous. And some day her children and his children will grow up and will listen to these podcasts and will know the truth and the severity of what's going on. But I'm hoping as this domestic violence survivor's children grow up, they grow up in a world where domestic violence is prosecuted in the way it should be, that domestic violence is taken seriously, and that the abuser be able to proceed with so many motions in order to get the children. While the victim of domestic assault in the third degree doesn't have her children, but for two hours a week, I have to say the guardian at Lightham did not protect the children. I don't believe they did a very good job at protecting the children. As a matter of fact, the more I learn and know about this case, I feel like the guardian at Lightham, per the Missouri Bar, should have a complaint filed against them. These children are now in the hands of an abuser who tried to kill their mother. So let's look at the document a little bit further. Um, I want to go over really quickly and then we'll wrap up today's part one of uh, family court versus criminal court. Okay, so methods. The study had two major components. In part one, we surveyed professionals who had experience with custody cases, child custody evaluators, judges, attorneys, and domestic violence program workers. And then in part two, we conducted quantitative semi-structured interviews with domestic violence survivors who had lost child custody or experienced a similar negative outcome during the family court proceedings. And we'll go over this more in depth in my next podcast. But I want to read a finding to you that I found very interesting. So the people that were surveyed that had prior knowledge of domestic violence, the least common areas especially were among judges, evaluators, 
investigators and private attorneys were knowledge of post-separation violence, screening for domestic violence, and assessing dangerous, although the majority still acquired knowledge in these areas. Domestic violence workers, of course, had the highest rate of knowledge on the topic. I want to read you one of the findings. Among domestic violence cases, evaluators were most likely to estimate that fathers tried to alienate children from their mothers than the reverse. You would think that it would be a noticeable red flag when one parent is more dominating in court than the other parent. So I guess I would like to raise the question, or maybe, of movement. Mandatory domestic violence training for custody evaluators, court professionals, and guardian at litem. Bye-bye for now.